as Danny said, my name's Tim. I'm the associate vicar here. Um, don't worry, that is my child screaming. Uh, don't worry about that. Uh, it's great to have kids here with us uh, this morning. We're going to be continuing our series in Luke, equipped on the way as we read through the whole of Luke uh, this year. And this morning, we are looking at Luke 16. So if you've got a Bible or a phone with a Bible on, I encourage you just to have it open now. We're going to read this passage together. So Luke 16, starting at verse 1. Jesus told his disciples, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you, can no longer be you, can, you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do, so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little, can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've be, not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees, who loved money, heard all of this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of the people, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Shall we pray together? Lord, this morning we say, we believe. Help our unbelief. Amen. So firstly, uh, this morning, I want to start by reassuring you that if you're a little bit confused by that reading, what to make of it, do not panic. This parable is quite tricky to understand. Um, and actually, it doesn't really seem like good news when you read it at first, does it? But there is good news in this story for us. This year, um, we're not going to be able to look at every passage in Luke's gospel uh, together. And uh, there's extra readings to do alongside if you want to do those. But you'll have seen um, in the bits that we've been reading so far, and a lot in the bits that are still to come, Jesus teaches so much about money. And this teaching on money is good news. The good news, I think, in this passage 
here is in verse 13. You cannot serve both God and money. See, the good news is that we serve God and God provides. The good news is the freedom that we get when we make Jesus Lord and not money. There is good news for us in the way that Jesus teaches us how to use money and what is actually of more worth to us. I think this parable this morning will give us a little bit more understanding on how to use the money that we have. But saying all that, this is a challenging parable and it is quite difficult to understand. You may have just read it and think that seems contradictory to the rest of what Jesus is saying about money and wealth. And it might have just felt uncomfortable, uncomfortable for us to have read that and to engage with it. It's shocking, isn't it? Because the hero here is a crook. The victim, the master, he commends the crook. And it's because of this there have been so many different interpretations of this parable. And there's some recently as well by really well-known um, scholars. I won't name them. And some of them are wrong. And I'm going to explain a little bit why. And I want to just spend, spend a few minutes now uh, looking at what is a parable and how we interpret them to help us as we go into this story together. So we know that parables were a common way of communicating ideas and concepts throughout the ancient world. We see it in the Old and the New Testament. And we all know that they are distinctly key to the way that Jesus taught. The use of these everyday examples to talk about amazing truth. And we do the same, don't we, today? Uh, you often you'll hear preachers tell stories to try and communicate truth in a simple way. You'll remember the story last week that Anne shared of the disappearing cat. And if we think of these parables as everyday illustrations, we can know then that they're not there to baffle us, but they're there to communicate something in a simpler way for us. So one step, I think, in learning how to interpret parables is to think about the everyday life in Jesus' time. It's also um, generally accepted that parables that Jesus used were there to communicate one single point to us, one truth each time. But it's also worth saying, actually, I've said they're easy to understand because they're everyday illustrations, but Scripture also tells us that they aren't going to make sense to everybody the Bible tells us this, and that's because Jesus uses them to reveal the secrets of the kingdom to those who believe. And what's happened um, when some people have tried to interpret what Jesus is saying here in this parable, to try and get a more comfortable response for them or something that they feel is more reasonable, is that they've started to add meaning to things that aren't there. So, for example, some people have said about this parable that the manager didn't really steal the master's money. What he actually did was cancel the, master, the debt that was owed, sorry, the interest on the debt. So 450, pounds, 450 gallons of oil was the debt and 450 was the interest. But the Bible doesn't tell us that, does it? It's not in the text we've just read. What others start to do is to try and get a more reasonable response is they'll start to give meaning to every single little thing that's there. So they'll say, the master is this person, the manager is this person, the oil represents this, the wheat represents this. And again, it's not in the text, is it? And I love what um, John Calvin, the great reformer, um, has to say about this. He says that to inquire with great exactness into every minute part of a parable is an absurd mode of philosophizing. 
And um, Danny, a couple of weeks ago, gave us uh, a posh word, didn't he, for uh, future things of the kingdom, eschatological, is what he said. And I want to give another posh word for what I've just described there, where we add detail in that isn't there in the text. And that's called eisegesis, where we're adding things in that aren't there. So as we look at this story together now, we need to be careful to make sure that we're looking for the simple truth in it. What was the key point that Jesus was trying to communicate to us, regardless of how shocking we think it is? Because we don't want to turn this story that Jesus was sharing what we wanted to, into what we want to hear. We want to hear what Jesus has to say to us. So again, just want to encourage you, have the passage open in front of you now as we go into this a bit further. So Jesus um, has now turned to his disciples. He's just been talking to the Pharisees in Luke 15. And we'll see that he's now speaking to his disciples. But take note that the Pharisees are still earwigging. And so Jesus begins to tell this story about the manager who's about to get the sack. And he's getting the sack because he's wasted his master's possessions So we can already see that this manager is somebody who's not of good character, is not trustworthy. And we'll see a bit later that the master in this story is somebody who is very, very wealthy. And we can see that from the size of the debt that's there. So the manager would have been somebody who would have uh, worked in proxy for the master. He would have done all his business dealings. He'd assign duties and he'd collect the pay. But we know he's corrupt and he's about to get the sack. So he thinks to himself, do you know what, I can't beg. I'm not strong enough for manual labor. So we see what he does. He buys favors for himself by canceling out debt owed to his master. See, he's too ashamed to beg, but he's not too ashamed to steal and commit fraud. I think, can you imagine, um, penalty for that today, for that kind of thing, would be probably a prison sentence, wouldn't it? But here, it looks like something that Jesus is commending. And I've said that these debts were large. The 450 gallons of oil is equivalent to about a year and a half's wages for someone at that time. The 200 bushels of wheat that are cancelled, that's about the yield from about 20 acres of land. That is a large amount of land for someone in that time. It's a vast amount of money. You see, what the manager has done here, he's gone into the mode of self-preservation. What the manager has done here is actually quite clever if you think about it, isn't it? He's effectively banked favors from each of the debtors. And this is a time when a favor was a big deal. If someone did something good for you and you owed them a favor, you owed them a favor and you'd commit to it. There's a culture of honor around this. That favor is untouchable no matter where it comes from. So even if they found out it had been done in ill health, it would be done wrongly, they still owed them that favor. So the manager had really looked out for his own back here. So the master wouldn't have been able to go and claim that favor on the manager's behalf. So in verse 8, we see that the master commends the manager. What he's really saying here is, you clever, dishonest manager, you saw the crisis come into you, and you acted to secure your future. He commends the shrewdness. You see, shrewdness was actually something that was valued in that society. So Jesus says, look how shrewd the world is when it comes to planning for the future. And then we get to verse 9, and I think that's the key for us this morning. 
the key bit of understanding all that Jesus says. He says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. See, what Jesus is saying to us here is to use what we have to build things that will last so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Take note of the word eternal because he's calling us to build for our future. See, Jesus wasn't saying, be like the manager. He wasn't telling us that. He's using an example of the way things worked in that world. He's teaching us a good lesson from a bad example. So what Jesus is saying here is use your money for what you want. Be shrewd with it. So what do we want? Well, it says in here, doesn't it, we see that for unbelievers, it's about self-preservation, for making things better for themselves. But as believers, we're called to be shrewd, not to get self-preservation, but kingdom preservation. We're called to think about the eternal, preserve our lives into God's eternal kingdom. See, what is here, it's a call to invest our financial capital, which actually is, if we think about all the capitals we have, like relational capital, our physical capital of what we own, the most important thing we have is that spiritual capital, isn't it? The, the financial capital actually is worth nothing in all reality. So it's the call to invest in something of greater worth, to use our financial capital for spiritual capital. And again, that's where we see that earth, eternal dwellings come back in. And what John, John Calvin, again, he says about this passage, he writes, Our Lord does not intend to compare the wisdom of the spirit to the wisdom of the flesh, but only arouse believers to consider more attentively what belongs to the future life. So here we're called to be more shrewd than the children of our own generation, those that don't believe. We're called to act more wisely than them, to direct our lives in a way that prepares for the coming of God's kingdom, the eternal home. We're called here to think about how we are investing in our future. And a couple of months back, we looked um, at Luke 12 together. I don't know if you remember that, the story of the rich fool. And in that, we see that we're called not to store up things for ourselves on earth because it's all going to go one day. But instead, to be rich towards God, to invest in something that will last, to build up for ourselves treasure in heaven. And it's the same message here. But this time, God is saying, be more clever about how you be rich towards God. Really use what God has given you to be thinking about your eternal salvation and about the eternal salvation of your friends. How many people can you bring with you with what God has given you into the kingdom? How can you invest that in that way? So how can you, each one of us, be more shrewd with what God has given us to see more effectively his kingdom at work here on earth? I just want to put it as the question, really. How can we be crafty for God's kingdom? And now I'm going to say, don't go and steal. Don't go in on Monday morning and fiddle your work accounts and then give it all to the church. Um, because we know that the rest of Scripture says that kind of stuff is wrong. So what we're doing here is we're reading a story in the light of all of, other Jesus, all of the rest of Jesus' teachings. So don't go and break the law, but use what God has given you. So one, I've got just a couple of little thoughts on this um, really quickly, because it's really hard to think of 
um, examples that match to each one of us because we're all in different positions in this. But could you use a Christian bank for your savings rather than a commercial bank on the high street? A bank that actually uses that money then to invest in the kingdom. There's banks which use their profits, Christian banks, to plant churches. Could we be using our money in that way, investing it in that way, rather than investing in somebody else's pocket? Could you use a Christian business where they're using the profits wisely? Again, Danny shared with me earlier the example uh, that he's bought his wedding rings from a Christian jeweler. That's great, isn't it? Because then that blesses that Christian uh, business, which will enable that person to tithe more. And one thing Emily and I want to do when we buy a house, um, we're praying that at some point we will be able to buy um, a house. It's always a challenge for someone of uh, my age, but we want to buy a house uh, where we invest it in a way, because we won't be living in it, um, that blesses God's kingdom. So we'll use a Christian housing association and not worry about getting the most amount of money out of it, but using it in a way that's going to bless others and builds God's kingdom. I want to say this morning, I think the most shrewd thing that we can do is to give to God as much as we can. To give to God first from what he's given us. And then at the end of the month, to give him everything back as well. To give him even more of what we've got left. Because that's what it looks like, doesn't it? To serve God rather than money. To put God first. To say, God, I trust you for everything I have. To serve God rather than money. And I think we've seen that, haven't we, in what Anne shared with us earlier about the amazing response to Gift Day. Each and every penny of that is a shrewd investment into the work of God's kingdom. And if you haven't given to that yet and you still want to, it's not too late. You can still go to our website forward slash gift day and do that if you want to make that investment today. Because in giving all that we can to God, what we're saying is, God, I trust you. When things get tough, when surprises come, God, I trust you that you will provide because I've invested all that I have, all my worldly wealth into your kingdom. And we know that God provides, doesn't he? Because we've already heard that in this gospel. If you're reading through, Jesus starts by sharing that God provides for us. So I'm coming into land now. I just want to say one more thing um, about verse 10 before we finish today. And it says, whoever can be trusted very, with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. If you want to be in a place where you can give God even more, to do some really shrewd investments into God's kingdom, to secure that future, to bring as many people into the kingdom as possible, be faithful with what God has given you now and pray that God will give you even more to be able to give him back more still further. I'm going to share with you something. Um, Emily and I this month was a quite a hard month for us. We thought going to be financially um, in April. And um, as a team, we've been praying that God would release more money for everyone in the church so that the church could be more generous back to God. And we saw that happen. We saw money come in just before gift day that we weren't expecting. Um, and it meant that we could give a bigger gift in the gift day than we were planning. So God answered our prayer. So encouragement, be faithful in the little and pray that God would give you more to be able to bless him further, to give even more.
want to pray that when we get that money, that it's not about self-preservation, not about thinking about ourselves, but thinking about, God, how can I bless you? What will happen if I give this money to this work or to this? How many people will that come into the kingdom? It's going to be amazing, isn't it, when we get to heaven to look back, and you might be able to look around and say, do you know what, that person's here because I invested in that thing, which meant that then person then invested in that thing. He's come to that. Does that make sense? When we look around and say, how many people have come into the kingdom because of what we've done with what God's given us on earth? I'm going to pray for us now. So I'd love it just to take a moment, quiet. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the freedom that comes from you when you're Lord of our lives and not Lord, or when we're not making money, our Lord, when it's Jesus, you, who is Lord. Lord, we thank you for that great response from Gift Day. Lord, we thank you that you have provided. And Lord, we pray this morning, help us to hold our money lightly. Give us wisdom, Lord, with what we do with it. Lord, help us to invest as much as we can into that eternal life, that eternal dwelling, so that we will see hundreds and thousands of people, millions of people, come with us when we go home. Lord, give us that shrewd nature with our money that leads to kingdom work. Lord, we pray this in your name.